This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. I married up. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> that just opens the door for comments. And I married up. You know, when you're 20 years old, that's your dream and hope that you find a spouse more attractive than you, that makes you look better, and someone who can help you advance in your career. And then after you've been married some years, maybe 20 years, and you realize your spouse has put up with all your nonsense and with your frailty and weaknesses, you realize that being married up is way more than a physical, a physical attribute. It's a true uh, companionship. So we're going to talk about marriage this week and next week. And as Beth mentioned in our Wednesday nights with a with some marriage video training. And we're going to do that. And we're, we're on thin ice now because there's some mistakes churches make and pastors make when they start talking about marriage. Uh, one mistake is this. Uh, over the coming week, you'll be hearing a lot of marketing and advertising because Valentine's Day is coming. And marketers have decided to make all the men feel guilty. So they spend money. And all the women now have a lot of expectations too of how their special day is supposed to be. As if the only day of the year you can be romantic is February 14th. I don't know who decided that, but that is based really on commercialism. Now, that's not giving you men a pass not to do anything, but let's just give this in perspective because one of the mistakes we can make when we do a church service is to try to reproduce sentimental feelings that parallel with culture. And so we'll present this kind of syrupy, cheesy, to use two food adjectives, uh, presentation about marriage that makes everyone feel like they're missing out on something. And sometimes pastors can even begin to project their marriage upon the congregation as this perfect idealistic marriage that makes me look good and the rest of you, you're just not, you're not measuring up to my wife and I's standard. So that's one kind of mistake we can, we could follow that pathway and I hope we don't. The other mistake is this, is pastors, we can attempt to try to solve every marital problem within a 30-minute sermon. So we deal with all these issues and as if three points will apply to every marriage that exists or every marriage that will exist. And we can solve that problem through two or three sermons and cross it off our list and deal with it next year. And marriage is so much more than that. It's complex. It's relational. So every marriage is different. Every potential marriage is different. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Because the Spirit will make the Word truth to us. And it will make the Word what it needs to be. Well, here's one of the problems that I see. I've worked with lots of different couples as an observer, as a pastor being uh, very involved in the lives of couples. And most couples come up with a conclusion. I've heard this several different times. At the end of discussing the marital situation, they'll say this. They'll say, we are just so different. As if 
the billions of people who have been married over the last thousands of years, all were perfectly compatible and never had any difference. But we are so different. Our personalities just don't fit. And I want to just say to you now, before we start this message, that if you feel like you're incompatible with your spouse, get in line with the rest of us. This myth that just because a man or woman, they give their vows at a wedding, that they're supposed to be perpetually compatible and always get along and just, just have this idealistic life together is, is really not accurate and not the truth. And when we begin to, when we begin to break down that myth, we have such a better chance at succeeding at the marriages we have. And for those of us who are single at selecting God's leadership in our marriage in the future. So that's what I I wanted. I want us to look at today. You might've remembered uh, the governor of South Carolina got in some trouble in recent years. Uh, He was told everybody he was hiking the Appalachian Trail, but he was really in South America involved in an extramarital affair. And I'm no better than him, and you're no better than him. I'm not picking on him, but he chose to discuss this issue on a national political show. And so that's why I bring it up today, because there, there was something that he said that, that I think just summarizes our erroneous belief sometimes about marriage. Uh, This man is very talented. In fact, his career was, the the projection was that he he would be in the presidential race right now. He had that type of talent, that type of influence, uh, had an attractive wife, four boys that were uh, elementary to high school age, if I remember correctly, very popular in his state. The guy from all of our vantage point seemed to have it all together. And yet, he gave it all up. His marriage, uh, being an active father, his political career. He gave it all up for this affair with this lady. And in, this, in the interview that I saw not too long ago, the question came that all America had. The, the, the interviewer began to reiterate the things I just said. And he said, I have just one question for you, Governor. One question that, that we need to know the answer to. All of America wants to know this question. Why? Why did he do it? And he said something that I think is erroneous, but I think it, it helps us understand our faulty view of marriage, our romance. He said, I found my soulmate. I found my soulmate. This reinforces this idea. I don't know how the story will end with him or the nuances of it, but it reinforces this idea for those of us who are married that we, when we deal with the difficult days of marriage and the difficult process, that we have this myth in our mind that somewhere out there, there is this person that we never had the chance to meet that they're drifting out there and they are our soulmate. And if, if we would have met them, 
then the garbage always would go out on Tuesdays and Fridays. And if we would have met our perfect soulmate, they would never forget a significant date or anniversary. If we would have met our significant soulmate, then and only then would our life be fulfilled and complete. This faulty thinking caused a high-level person that I mentioned give up everything the world would want. And it causes us to be dissatisfied with the state of the marriage that we're in today. And for those of us who are single, it causes us to eliminate many wonderful opportunities to maybe engage in Christian marriage because we have this image of perfection that's not centered on the Lord and who the Lord is. So I want us to go to the scripture today. I want us to go to Genesis chapter 2. Much of my thoughts and inspiration for this message has come from a book called The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller, and I highly recommend this book. And as you're turning to Genesis 2, I want you to understand something, that marriage is God's idea. God is the one who instituted marriage as the fundamental source of how families are built, how society is organized. And for those of us who are called to marriage, uh, how we, we advance the kingdom of God and the purposes of God. So in the beginning, in perfection, the Garden of Eden... God had given a job. He had given an assignment to Adam there in what was perfection on this earth. Uh, Adam was over all the animals, but God made a special creation. Starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, it says, The Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. In verse 23, At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This scripture, verse 24, is the basis of social behavior among humanity. It did not come through the legislation or through a constitutional amendment. It came from God Almighty. It came before governments were established. It came before marriage seminars came. It came before uh, the intellectual elite began to define what marriage is. It came from God Almighty. He said, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Reading the same exact passage in the King James Version will bring its benefit. Let's go to 22. She will be in the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now this is that key verse again. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. Now, this week when you work, you're probably not going to use the English word cleave. That's a, an old archaic word. But the reason I want to show you this is it better demonstrates the power of the Hebrew verb there. To cleave, to be interwoven with. Where if you actually separate the two, damage happens. That's what God intended for marriage. And he intended for marriage to happen. So this sounds wonderful and sounds good and sounds exciting. And we go back to the origins that, that marriage came from God. 
And we all agree marriage is a good thing and marriage makes us better, makes society better. And that, but here's the truth. Marriage is a series of disappointments. I say that, I say that because marriage is a disappointment because how we have been conditioned to view marriage. We have been conditioned to view marriage by forces we don't even realize. Throughout the day, you're listening to music and the melody and the tune uh, is great and catchy. It helps you maybe get through a monotonous afternoon. But most of the messages from our music doesn't have anything to do with God's idea of marriage. The plots of the movies we watch, and I watch movies, we don't realize that those plots, those plots influence how we view marriage and relationships. And then the force that is constantly pressing on us, even though we don't realize it, is the reality of humanism. Where man is the measure, and it's about my needs, and it's about me getting fulfilled, and it's about me reaching my potential. And that is manifested in the marriage in this pressure upon us to make sure that the marriage is leveraged to make me a better person. And that influences us. And that creates an atmosphere where we can be disappointed and encounter disillusionment. So I want to give you four points today. And the first three are meant to deconstruct the disappointment and the myth we have in marriage. First thing I want you to write down or I want you to notice in your version is this, is that your spouse is selfish. I want you just to write that down. Your spouse, spouse is selfish. And while you're writing that down, can you please add three words? So are you. You are selfish. We are conditioned by our sinful nature and reinforced by the message of culture to be egocentric people, self-centered people. So everything we process revolves around our needs and our wants and our desires. And that manifests in marriage like no other place. When I was in college, I was 19 or 20 at this time. And I remember getting in a discussion with my spiritual formations professor about marriage. And I don't remember how that whole discussion happened or what we were discussing. But I remember this. He said, Aaron, I'm going to tell you something. We had this type of relationship. He could say this. He said, someday you're going to be married. And when you're married, you're going to realize how selfish you really are. Sitting there in that classroom, I was like, no, I won't. But I have thought about that comment a lot. A lot because marriage brings out our selfishness. And that's okay. That's not anything we need to be scared of. Because we serve a God who's in the transformation. And God wants to expose the selfishness that we have so that he can transform it and make us more like Christ. But there's a vicious cycle because we're selfish people, we enter into marriage expecting someone else to meet our needs. And, and we want them to meet our needs. And because we want them to meet our needs, when they don't meet our needs, they don't meet our selfish needs, we think they're selfish. See the vicious cycle that happens there? We, we, 
We are expecting someone else to meet our needs. And because of that, because of that, we think they're selfish because they can't figure out what we need. Now, let me back up a step because I want to talk a little bit about mate selection because we're a community here. And every person who's single here, you are valued. I, I don't want the church to ever send a message that that church is a, is a couple's place. It's not. It's not. 45% of adults in America are single. And it is, it is the, the message God wants us to, to, to have the right perspective on mate selection. This message is important for you because if you are judging who your potential mates can be through the filter of your selfishness, you might miss out on what God's plan for your life is. And it's true that when we, we select a mate, that we can't really look past our own desires or needs. But sometimes these things get really, really ridiculous. Sometimes we simply are just too picky because we have put a standard a standard that's just way, way too high. It's unattainable. And we begin to become more and more selfish as that standard becomes more and more high. Now, this has been discussed even among secular, uh, secular observers. Uh, the fact today why there's so many delayed marriage. Some, some of the reasons why this happens is because people are simply way too picky. And there was one writer who spoke on this issue, excuse me, wrote on this issue, and he gave some examples of some friends. These are real-life examples of some friends that he spoke with who were single. And they would go on a date, and he would get the feedback afterwards. And one of them said this. She said, well, the guy was so smart. He had a law degree. He's advancing in his career. But his socks were not long enough. How in the world can I date a guy whose socks are so short I can see his hairy legs? That eliminated it. There was another single man who, he made these comments after he went out with a, with, with a young lady. He said, everything started out great. She was beautiful. She had a great figure, a great smile, a wonderful personality. And then she turned around. And with a sad tone in his voice, he said, dirty elbows. <laughs> Kill the deal right there. When, when we have this immature, selfish view of mate selection, then we don't see the big picture because we're so self-centered. And that affects, affects every aspect, both mate selection and the marriages that we're currently in. As we reflect on the past and we look at social behavior in the past, it's true that marriage and mate selection was much different because mate selection used to be for the good of the whole. And that wasn't always perfect, but factors were determined as if two young adults or two adults got married, how this would benefit the whole community. And that changed in the 1800s. And that began to change. And when people began to make decisions solely based on what was good for them. And there was some positive to that. But like anything, the pendulum has swung so much that now, now there's no consideration. There's no consideration in the current married state. And here's how that fleshes out for those of us who are married. 
When you're married and you go through difficult circumstances and you go through trials and you feel like your marriage is incompatible and you don't feel fulfillment in your marriage, do you think you have the right just to check out, to leave the marriage? And there is no thought whatsoever of how that affects other people. First of all, the priority is your children. And that, that has been explained uh, and, and needs to be reinforced over and over again that the effects of divorce upon children is, is almost too, too much to calculate because it, 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 you cannot minimize it with a statistic. It, it's a real, real-life issue. But beyond that, beyond that, I, I want to remind you of something, that in communities like this church community or wherever you are, a divorce damages community also. It, it, it hurts. The, the people that I've been involved with in my life, when, when they divorce, and I have to explain that to my kids, that hurts community. Your marriage matters. Your marriage matters to God. And there are times, there's biblical reasons for divorce, but this is not a message about that today. This message is about breaking the cycle of selfishness that makes you only look, about, look for yourself and look who you are and how it affects you and instead seeing the bigger picture. This statistic has, has been verified over many different therapists and, and Christian leaders who have seen this, that two-thirds of marriages that are unhappy today, two-thirds of marriages that are unhappy today will be happy in five years if people don't choose divorce. I want you to think about that. I'm going to say that again. Two-thirds of marriages that are unhappy today will be happy in five years if divorce is not chosen. It's, it's so important that we realize that God is breaking selfishness. And we see this clearly and uh, how he illustrates what marriage is supposed to speak to the world through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, For husband... This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of, of God's word. He did this to present himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Look at verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. What happens? Yes, your spouse is selfish. Yes, you are selfish. But under the leadership of Christ, when you realize you're giving yourself up for your spouse, you're sacrificing for them, it breaks the power of selfishness. And in its place, the fruit of the Holy Spirit begins to manifest in your life. The fruit of the Spirit begins to manifest in your life. Marriage is a place for God to develop your character. Marriage is a place for you to overcome obstacles. Marriage is a place for he, he to be glorified. Marriage is not simply to fulfill your needs. There should not be this paranoia of, I am, I am unhappy or I don't feel connected to my spouse. I better make a change as fast as I can to find happiness somewhere because I only have a few years in this life and then I'll be annihilated and I won't exist anymore. That's the message of the world. The message from Christ is, is there is eternity. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are adopted into his family. We're not what we're going to be, but we are breaking the power of selfishness and God is using this marriage covenant to make us more like him.
We're going to learn to serve. We're going to give. We're going to work through the adversity. That's what God wants us to approach marriage with and how he wants us to approach marriage. I want you to imagine a scenario here, and, and it's probably happened to you. You're driving down a country road, and you're, you're completely isolated, and you don't have to really uh, worry about the traffic around you. There, there's, not, there's not signs that have speed limits or anything like that. It, it's just you and the open road. And you're listening to music, and you're enjoying yourself, and you look in the rearview mirror, and you see, you see cop lights on, police lights on. They pull you over. They say, do you know how fast you were going? You say, no, sir, I was just listening to the music. Do you realize you were 15 miles over the speed limit? The answer is, no, sir, I don't, because they did not post the speed limit. Regardless of that, the law, this is the speed limit, here's the ticket. You were wrong. That's a scenario that can happen to us sometimes. Now, I heard this in our third option classes last summer. This is very, very... um, a parallel that's very similar to marriage in the area of expectations. Here's the, third, the second thing I want you to write down. Your spouse does not meet your expectations. Your spouse doesn't mean your ex- meet your expectations. Here's the reason why expectations are like speed limit signs. Your spouse only knows about your expectations when they are revealed or they are made known. The problem is because we're selfish and we only care about us, we expect our spouse to figure out what we need. So we never tell them what our expectations are. We want them to figure it out. I mean, after all, the world revolves around me. They ought to figure out what I need. They ought to get with my program. They should know this is my need. But if we don't, we don't give our expectations and they're not made known, how can our spouse ever meet them? Now, this obviously can manifest itself in a hundred different ways in small behavior that happens uh, with the dynamics of living together. But I want to look at the broad picture here. Uh, at third option, they talked two hours about this. We, we were going to talk two or three minutes. Looking at the, the big picture is, is, let's look at it this way. The expectations we bring into marriage. We bring expectations into marriage that set us up for disillusionment, set us up for disappointment. Earlier when I said marriage is a series of disappointments, that's not God's fault. And it's really not our spouse's fault either. Marriage is a series of disappointments because of our selfishness and our unspoken expectations. So we begin to bring all these expectations and all these dreams into our marriage and we expect someone who has never been married before to figure out what those are and it it creates a vicious cycle. It creates a cycle where uh, we are perpetually disappointed. And the cycle goes something like this. There's a graphic that I I think we're going to have up here is we, we start out marriage and we start off with infatuation. That's the fun part. That's the dating part. That's the part where everything is new, everything is fresh. And in fact, we, we talked about this last year, that there are endorphins that make us feel like, you know, that, that, uh, that we're on some kind of drug. There's, those parallels have been made in the medical field that it's just exciting, it's fun. Uh, we're learning about someone else. We're having a dream come true. And then we move into the area of disappointment. 
disappointment because that other person can never figure out what we really need because I'm selfish and they're selfish too. We move to disappointment because we've brought expectations to our marriage that have never been stated. And so our dreams aren't coming true and we begin to blame it on our spouse instead of ourselves and then we get even more bitter. And now here's where the choice is. You can go to, what, to the right to disillusionment and that's where many marriages go, even people who are married. Where you begin to get bitter at your spouse. You begin to get bitter at your life situation. You feel like you're stuck. You feel like uh, that you made a mistake. You have regrets. You feel like there's no hope for your marriage. That's where most people go. Or you can move to what we'll call delight. Where you realize that the person that God has put me with is full of mistakes, full of frailty. They cannot meet my needs. They cannot meet my expectations. But God has put me with them. And together, he's working on us. You can begin to delight in your partner's weaknesses. Why? Because you realize you have weaknesses. Because marriage is unlike anything that God has instituted or God has started. Because in marriage, you know somebody in an intimate way. In an intimate way. You know them. You know how they chew food wrong. You know every little nuance when they get grumpy. You know what mistakes they make. There's a dozen, maybe several dozen things that you could write down about your spouse that get on your nerves. You, you can. And that's okay. Because you can delight in those things because your spouse is not perfect and neither are you. You have a propensity for selfishness and so does your, your, your spouse. But together, together, God wants to make you something different. Some of you have been to class reunions. You're at the age where you've been to a 10-year or 20-year or 50-year. Can we take a poll right now? No, we won't do that. Uh, but if you haven't had a class reunion, you certainly have been in the situation where you haven't seen someone in a long time. And you see them, and their voice sounds the same. Their eyes are the same. Um, despite just normal aging physically, they're somewhat the same, but their personality is different. They're not the same goofy junior high kid who got on your nerves in math class. And they're not the same 25-year-old person who was immature. They've changed, hopefully for the better. So you've made the comment before, you know, that person's different. Kurt's a different person now. So that's a normal expectancy that we have in life. Five years goes by, 10 years go by. We expect someone's going to fundamentally change. But when it comes to marriage, we don't have that same realistic expectation. Here's the third thing I want you to write down. Deconstructing these myths. Your spouse is a different person than you married. Can we just own that? Your spouse is a different person. An argument that I hear when people either want to abandon their marriage or disengage with their marriage. They'll give this excuse. He's not the same person I married. She's not the same person that I married. And I want us to own that because that is true for every single person. Now, obviously, that can be applied to someone who is turned away from God or turned away from, from covenant agreements and covenant boundaries. 
But I'm just talking simply about this incompatibility. That's the title of the message today. You, you feel incompatible with someone because they're different. Marriage is so intense that the very act of marriage changes you. So that applies to every person. You are not married to the same person that you marry. We see this happen all the time. Uh, uh, an individual goes from elementary school to junior high. Everything changes. The very act of going to a different phase of life fundamentally changes who they are. person moves from college to adolescence. The expectations change. They fundamentally change. So it is the very act of being married changes people. The very act of being married changes who a person is. So the faulty excuse, well, I'm not married to the same person. You're right. You're not. Things change. People change. That's why for those of you who are single, I caution you, marry for the right reason. If you're marrying someone because they're hot, can I tell you the condition of hot does not stay the same forever. There's something called gravity and time. If you're marrying someone for their money, that can change, change in one month. Don't marry for those reasons. Don't, don't marry for those reasons. And don't, don't project on your current spouse, for those of you who are married, this kind of draconian kind of excuse that you're not the same person. Of course you're not the same person. Marriage has changed you, and age changes you, and life changes you. That should not be the excuse. Instead, God has something better. God has something better. God's view of marriage wants to break selfishness and wants to break unrealistic expectations and wants to break this, this sense of, of, this sense of, of blame that someone has changed and just because they've encountered adversity in life and difficult times, it changes the whole deal. God's way of marriage is much different than that. He has something much bigger in mind. And that's why I want you to write down the last thing is this, because we're talking as Christians today. We're talking as God's people today. As Christians, your spouse is on a journey towards perfection. They, they, didn't, they don't come into your marriage perfect and they don't exist to meet your needs but as a fellow brother and sister in Christ they're on a journey to be perfect before the Lord let's look at these scriptures in Colossians chapter chapter it's chapter 1 verse 27 in the middle of this beautiful poem that Paul is writing to this church he says for God wanted them to know that the riches and glorious of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. We're going to share in his glory someday. Now this is not some kind of weird cultic teaching as many of the Christian cults say today that somehow we're going to become a God. We're not going to become a God. We are going to see the one and only true God, the one who is above all, the one who is all powerful with all sin. And when we see him someday, we'll share in his glory. He will glorify us and every weakness, every tendency to sin 
every shortcoming, everything we do wrong, when we get a look at perfection, who God is, perfect and holy, it'll change who we are. That's where we're headed. That's where God is taking us. That's why 1 John 3, 2 says it this way. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know this. We will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. We will be like him because we will see him as he really is. You see, when you don't have this perspective... And when you're living with the world's view of marriage and the earthly view of marriage, the earthly view of marriage is suck all of the joy out of life right now because it's all you have. Annihilation is coming. You're going to live your 70 to 90 years and it's over. It's done. You, bet, you, better, you better get all your happiness now. So a little bit of trouble, some sickness comes to your marriage, some financial trouble, some, some incompatibility issues come. You better go find somebody else. That's what the message of the world is. But God has a different message for us. God has a different message. He has gone before us and he has prepared a place for us. He is getting us ready for another life. It's not just about this life. This life, he is changing us now to take us into eternity. We are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And because of that, there should be much grace in our marriages. There should be much grace in our marriage. There should be this sense of wonder that our spouse is not everything we need. Our spouse may not be everything we expected. Our spouse may not even be who we thought they were going to be when we got married. But through Jesus, our spouse, as we follow him, as we pursue holiness and sanctification and submit ourselves to him, my spouse is going to become more like Jesus. My spouse might not be a very loving person now, but I believe through prayer and through following Christ, he or she will be more loving next year and the next. My spouse might be a person who is given to great anxiety. They stress out about stuff. They don't handle pressure very good. But through Christ and through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I believe my spouse, I'm going to pray for them because I believe that one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. And I want to see my spouse grow in peace. We're on a journey. God's taking us somewhere. God wants to break the selfishness. God wants to break the expectations that bring disillusionment. And instead of being bitter people, sorry we're married, regretting that we're married, thinking we've made a mistake, believing the myth that there's somebody else out there, our soulmates floating out there somewhere. And if we'd find them, we'd be so much happier. Instead, why can't we just submit to the Lord and say, God, you put me with this person. And Lord, now together we're submitted to you. And through your leadership, we're going to become more like you every day. Why not as a single person believe, God, you have something in store for me. It's not just about me being happy. You want to change the world through my marriage. You want me to become more like Christ. Prepare me to be the type of woman or the type of man you need. You need for your glory to be revealed. That's the approach. You want to talk about being married up? See, it's not about 
physically marrying someone more attractive to you, being married up is meaning more of his glory, more of his influence, more of his character, more of his fruit. He wants to take our marriages to the place where he's involved in them. He wants to prepare us for that. I mentioned Timothy Keller, but I love, I love his quote. I want to read it to you that will just reinforce the statements I've said. Marriage brings you into more intense proximity to another human being than any other relationship can. That's a good quote, but it's a wrong quote. All right. Can we start over? Within the Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating. And to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. What a beautiful statement. What a beautiful statement. Let's pray together. Father, that's what we need. Help us, Lord, to break down wrong stereotypes and wrong messages and forces we're not even aware of. And instead, Lord, we take your vision for marriage. Lord, I'm not the perfect husband. Beth's not the perfect wife. None of us in here are perfect. Our marriages aren't perfect. Our past marriages weren't perfect. Our future marriages won't be perfect. But God, we believe, Lord, that you are going to use our marriage and our future marriage to build character, to build your kingdom, to establish, Lord, your rule and reign in society and culture. And Father, there's come to come a day where in the light of your presence, Lord, all of our imperfections, our lack of ability to be a good husband, our inability to be the mother you want us to be, our inability to, to be the spouse you want us to be. All of those things will leave in the light of your presence because you are good and perfect and we're not. So we submit to you. Father, this marriage issue is too big just to be regurgitated psychological points. We need the divine move of your spirit. Oh, spirit, land upon our marriages and get involved and Jesus break in so that you would be glorified and we love you and we thank you. In the spirit of prayer, would you just stand with me? I'm gonna pray over future marriages and current marriages right now before we go to the table of the Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Father, I pray now for our singles. God, I pray, Lord, that they would let you lead them, that, Lord, they would not use any filter that would pollute them or misdirect them. But God, we call forth godly marriages. We call forth great marriages in our children, even our elementary children. Lord, we believe God that, Lord, they're gonna encounter the right person at the right time. And Lord, you're gonna be glorified. I pray for those, God, who who have been married before and who desire to be married again. Father, thank you, God. You're gonna give them deeper wisdom and deeper understanding. I pray, God, for those who feel like it's, 
the timetable's not going like they want it to go. Lord, we affirm to them right now, God's timing is perfect and he will bring the person at the right time. Follow his word, follow his leadership. It'll go well for you. And let me pray for those of you who are married. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Lord, the statistics that apply to the world does not apply to this congregation in Jesus' name. Jesus, these marriages will last. Father, we claim them for you. I pray a hedge of protection around the marriages here. Father, I pray that you would preserve them. Lord, that you, oh God, would enliven these marriages. That, Father, you would cause your perspective to come. And, Father, you would cause these marriages to to flourish, God, under your leadership. And, God, give us that spiritual perspective that we might see Christ become more and more at home in our spouse. We might, we might celebrate who you're making them. And Father, give us much grace for our spouses as you've given us much grace. Freely we receive, freely we give. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church of Indian Lake.